I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show let's start this podcast it's a raining day <laughs> yeah so it's time to dry up on the show i don't know well, who, uh, ugh, terrible, terrible we'll do that we'll fix that one well yeah, yeah that's that'll that'll <laughs> we'll come back say, to fix that fix it in post yeah uh-huh. yeah we'll do that <laughs> so many so many so many damn books welcome to so many damn books i am christopher i'm drew and we have jamie attenberg in the damn library with us this evening thank you for joining us jamie i'm so happy to be here i turned my head and i immediately saw Lori moore book so i feel safe here <laughs> <laughs> jamie attenberg is the new york times best-selling author of seven books of fiction including the middlesteins and all grown up she has contributed essays to the new york times magazine the wall street journal the sunday times and long reads among other publications and she lives in new orleans so you came to new york for this a specific interview which is so nice of you it's not <laughs> not at all but um i did i'm just starting my tour yes now so i came to new york a couple days early welcome mm. welcome back thanks yeah it's i would i it's the city really good. rolled out the carpet for you today it is a rainy day um and i i took the subway here and i was supposed to take a car service and I, or take a lift or an uber or something like that and because it was raining it was going to be 60 dollars for like an eight minute cab ride oh or something God. and and i was saying even though i'm not paying for this because i'm on a business trip i really just morally <laughs> 60 dollars for it so i have a lot of i get sticker shock I lived here for 18 years, and then I moved to New Orleans, where everything is obviously much cheaper, and I get sticker shock every time I come back. Sure. And it takes like two days. And usually I come, sometimes I come back for to see friends, but a lot half the time I come back for a business trip. So I'm again, I'm not, my publisher's paying for things, and it still freaks me the hell out. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's so expensive here. It's crazy. I mean, I guess it's like any international city. Like, if I went to London or Paris, it would be the same. But because I used to live here and know how to do it cheaply, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing you do to live cheaply in New York is you learn how to make your own cocktails. Nice. Uh-huh. Nice. That was a transition. So this is a, this is a drink that... Um, uh, was inspired by your novel, All This Can Be Yours. I was actually just thinking of, um, I had this cardamom in my uh, pantry and um, infused it into some gin for a week, which is something that you should do at home. It's very fun to just take a bottle of gin and you need about a tablespoon of herbs. Wait, did you say this was gin? Mm-hmm. This is gin? Oh, guys. 
Jen makes me mean. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> well, you did request a clearer liquor I as forgot well. to say. No, it's my bad. <laughs> and you were telling me what was in it, and I just wasn't really paying attention because I was so flustered because I'd just come in from the rain. Mm -hmm. But, well, let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's uh, so it's the cardamom-infused gin, and you can use any herb to infuse your gin. It's it's just a fun thing to do that you should try at home. Um, and then uh, then there's cherry hearing and lemon and I, and uh, some club soda on top. And it's just a, it's a simple sipper. So I'm calling it past the time because this is one of those drinks that you can really re drink with a book because you can drink it for a long time because um, it's big. And uh, it's a, um, the book plays with a lot of time. It's basically, it takes place in like a short amount of time, but it goes bigger than that. Um, and so it's, uh, I don't know. I just kept thinking of temporal passing. Nice. Yeah. So that's the drink. Pass the time. It's delicious. I'm so glad you like it. Should we should we jump into some what you buy? Yeah, I'd love to. Do you want to start? Uh okay. Yes. Because I need to know what you're going to say in order to know what I'm going to say. So the our, our our dear friend of the show who's come on before, um, John Hodgman, has a new uh, book called Medallion Status. Have you read it yet? I'm I'm I just read the first it's chapter so good. and it's so funny yeah. and I just love his voice so much. Um, and I guess I don't know what this one's about. I still like I've already started reading it, but it's, he's just like I'm going to get to what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> it's really I he he got me a copy like maybe like a month ago mm -hmm. and I read it and ate it up and it yeah. was like so nice to read it like to just sort of take a break from the thing i had to read and it was the thing i wanted to read yes sorry i don't mean to step on no, your recommendation absolutely but i am enthusiastic about hodgman's book yeah i'm so excited about it um and yeah so so that's what i got nice drew do you want to go next sure uh i was recently married and i was on my honeymoon yes you were um we were up in and around woodstock new york and there's a lovely bookstore in Woodstock called the Golden Notebook. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Uh, we went in, and oddly enough, Sarah Broom had just been there like the day before, which I thought was a cosmic coincidence because mm -hmm. I was carrying her book in my bag. Um, but we were wandering around and wanted to buy something. And my wife and I both saw this book, American Royals mm -hmm. by Catherine McGee. It's a later years YA yeah. looking kind of book. And the idea is that when they offered Washington the kingship, he took it. And so America has had the House of Washington on the throne since the 1790s. Uh, and it's, it looks like it's about the kids, mm. sort of imagining what, it would, what life would have been like if we had a, a parliamentary monarchy instead of uh, whatever nonsense we have now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, democracy. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, air um, quotes. But so... I love a good alternate history, mm -hmm. and it's like, the next time I have that Jones for a YA book, I can't wait. Yeah. Jamie? Jamie? Um, my book is, and I was, I was just saying that I don't know how to pronounce her name because I only know her from online, and that's what happens is you don't learn the correct pronunciation, but I believe it's Janine Crusay, C-R-U-C-E-T is it, um, uh, uh, how you spell it, and it's her book is called My Time Among the Whites, which I had bought, I did a pre-order, because it's good to pre-order people's yes. books yes. pre-order people's books please pre-order if you're interested why not just buy it right um if you can 
if you have that kind of income, I guess, is really mm-hmm. what it is. But And if you want to support an author, if you, for example, follow them on social media and like what they're doing, it's a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just knew she was smart and had read some of her essays in the New York Times. The first couple of chapters that I read are about her being the first... Um, the first member of her family to go to college and she and like kind of um, being a person of color and and she went to Cornell and it was really good and really riveting and um and that is as far as I'd gotten and then um she just recently gave a talk at Georgia Southern University Mm -hmm. and um and it was like mandated that the freshman class read her book Uh and uh and there were a bunch of young young racists uh-huh. in the audience who Ooh. were arguing with her, uh, with her about it because it was kind of like a yikes you're taking you know you're arguing against white privilege but that's racist kind of oh, bullshit oh. um and she they burned her book these kids burned no her book in front of like you know somewhere on campus and then um you know she released a statement about it um and they had to move her an hour and a half away and they wow um that's so retrograde it was so terrible and and then she did i mean she did great like great like it's really brave of her i don't know it would be really hard for me to just like fight against that because the minute you do it's like people come after you online and yeah but she like you know gave interviews and then she sort of and then she sort of stopped and um you know, um, she is a really, I mean, nobody deserves that, obviously. We don't really want to be burning books, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, she, I just think she's just, you know, it's like an act of bravery. And yeah. each, I, honestly, I mean, any time that you stand in front of an audience to repre- to sort of present yourself and present your work, even if it's just like, you know, my little novels, right? And I'm like a middle-aged white lady, so, but it's still like, it's like a, a, a leap, you know, you're like, um, trying to connect with an audience and you're just trusting that everybody's there and has good intentions for being there. And then for her to, you know, write these personal stories about race and put herself out there. And she's a college professor, so she's familiar with the environment too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's really, she was so brave and obviously cause she's a woman, she's targeted more too. So I, w- I would just recommend that people, you know, buy the hell out of her book mm-hmm. yeah. to support her because wow. she really put herself out there. Sounds yeah. incredible. Sounds like an amazing book. Look, at I already started preaching, you guys. <laughs> Let me have a little bit more of this gin cocktail and see what happens. Do you, would you like to preach about your book a little bit? Yeah. Uh, will you tell our audience what All This Could Be Yours is about? Okay. It's about, I still don't have my elevator pitch. Um, I am going to try here. Um it's about a bad rich man who was bad in all the bad rich man ways named Victor Tuckman. And I'm not giving anything away because in the first two pages he has a heart attack and he's going to die. And you know he's going to die the entire book. And it's kind of a, it's, it's in part about how uh, his family members all either they all have to reckon with him dying and they have to reckon with um, their past with him. Mm-hmm. And um, and some people choose to come by his bedside and some people choose not to and there's a lot of family secrets that are mm-hmm. involved and it's set in new orleans now there's much more than ha- that that happens but that's sort of the core story right well i mean that's the, a good elevator pitch yeah it's good yeah uh, yeah do you just i just pictured the floor going down two floors and the little ding and someone got off and was like i didn't even ask you <laughs> <laughs> but we did um so 
I mean, the family at the center of this, is, there's, I mean, right on the front cover of this, um, Kirkus says, you're the poet laureate of difficult families. Yeah. And, and um, I was just thinking about the Middlesteins and also St. Maisie, which is a different sort of family, all just wrapped around one person almost. Mm. Um, I was just curious about how you feel about being called the poet laureate of families. I mean, it, we saw it in the review and we were like, oh, we got to like redo the cover and put it on the cover immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I, lots of people write about families. So mm-hmm. it was very nice. It was a very nice review. I don't mean whatever. If anyone wants to say anything nice <laughs> about me, I'll take it. Like, I don't feel like I'm being put into a box here. I can write about whatever I want to write about. Mm. So, but it's what about nice family? to be anything. <laughs> <laughs> really. Um, what about family drives plot for you? Like, what what is it about? a family that that just is so rich um so and i keep saying i have to get a better answer for this i mean i i think that um i think that i i view my characters like i think about when i think about writing i think that i'm just gossiping about characters <laughs> and so and i love like family gossip and just hearing how everyone like i just enjoy how everyone's doing i like i mean none of these people in this book or anything like my family at all but that's I think there's maybe like a tradition of it like we you know we have when everyone catches up in my family and sort of you know I must have gotten it from there right Mm -hmm. so um and then I think that um uh and family secrets is just really interesting to me um and uh and also you know it's a really it's a really good way to talk about America the Mm -hmm. family the family structure and I'm I consider myself even though I get published in other countries and I think that my work has a universal appeal I really primarily consider myself an American author like a really an American author sure well um can you go into that a little more I'm curious what why why make that delineation for yourself I don't know I just think I like to write about the banalities of American life. <laughs> I was talking to some, this is, I'm, this is like not answering a question, but sort of answering a question. But I was telling my friends the other day, some very sophisticated friends of mine that, um, I like to go to mall, malls. Like I grew up in like the suburbs of Chicago and like, that's, that's what we did. We went to malls. Um, and I had a, when I was growing up, I had a cornfield in my backyard for like many years because it was just like, a town that was being developed like right in front of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it had been all, you know, like land owned by a church and then they started building houses on it and just sort of selling it off. Um, and, uh, and so I've seen like American, like I grew up in an American community that was developing. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, so I was telling my fancy friends the other day that I like go to the mall. Um, and, and part of it is because it's like another place to go in New Orleans when it's really hot out. Mm-hmm. And I just, and it's all like super air conditioned and I will, and it's like a 10 minute, 15 minute drive from my house and then I'll just go and walk around and look at stuff. But they just thought it was like really silly. They just were like, oh, it's just Jamie being Jamie. And I was like, <laughs> and I looked at them like dead on and I was like, no, that's my milieu. Yeah. yeah. Like that's fully my, like, you know, part, you know, there's a, good 8,000 words of this book that is set in a CVS. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I, I'm just really fascinated with that. And I've written books set in New York. Obviously, I've written three books set in New York. And I've set, had two books that were set in the Midwest and one that was a story collection that was sort of set all across America. And this, to me, even though this is primarily set in New Orleans, this book 
it feels like there's enough that takes place in other in all these different regions in mm-hmm. the country that it feels to me like an American book. And also I view New Orleans in its way as like, even though it's like unlike any other city in America, it's also like where lots of Americans like to come yeah, because mm-hmm. it's a tourist destination. So they're spe- they specifically maintain their culture in New Orleans, like a culture in quotation marks, as well as there is a real culture that's going on. And people like to come and view it. And it's not like it's, I'm not at, for a moment saying it's like Disneyland because it's not that like that at all but it's a place that americans like to go to to experience right yeah and so when you walk around the french quarter there's a lot of, a lot of fucking americans <laughs> oh my god yeah <laughs> and i mean it's represented in disneyland as well so is that even true? yeah yeah there is the french quarter of disneyland mm. so there's yeah. a whole new or- fake new orleans there sure so that's how american it is yeah it's american <laughs> and it's not i don't know so i yeah so that's that i think that's part of was probably one of my part of my attraction to that city and and then in, I don't know, maybe in like in a couple more books, I'll be able to explain more about why I'm an American author. But I do think of myself as that. Mm. What was it about this book and New Orleans? I mean, you moved to New Orleans five years ago. Four, in February, it'll be four years since I like bought a house there. Right. Yeah. Was it was it just time? Was it with the city? Call what was it about? finally setting a book in New Orleans. I mean, I just, yeah, I really wanted to. I knew that I was going to. And I just, it took me a couple of years to figure out how I was going to do it. And part of the way that I did it was I, you know, invented this family of outsiders who were moving in mm-hmm. or had moved in post-Katrina. You know, they also had moved in at different time frames, or they were just visiting there. And that was my access point to being able to write it. And then as I wrote the book, you know, native New Orleanian characters popped up and really insisted on being written about. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, I just took me two years and I, um, I guess I was... St- I was really nervous about it and I didn't, I wanted to do a good job and I really love it there. And I was afraid I, if you, if you fuck up, everyone knows it's a really small town Mm -hmm. and I did not want to fuck up. (laughs) And, um, I, I don't know. I was like, I was waiting for someone to give me permission, I think. And then Mm. I was like, I get, I give myself permission to do Mm -hmm. it and try to do a good job with it and try to, you know, cover all, cover all the bases that need to be covered. And, um, I had readers, native New Orleanian readers, and um, who corrected certain things. And I suppose in a way after it was done, they kind of gave me a permission or approval. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm really fascinated to see how it's going to play out in New Orleans. Sure. I'm really, um, it's so far so good, but I haven't really, they don't really do b- book reviews down there. Right. So you'll, I'm sure I'll hear it. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. So, yeah. so this is, um, the book just came out. Um, and, and you are, it's your eighth, it's my seventh, seventh book. And, um, I mean, we have a lot of debut authors come through, um, and, and talk to us on the show, but not many people who are on their seventh book. And I'm just curious how it feels different or how it feels the same this, this far into your career. Am I the only sucker (laughs) showing up? No. Last time you guys tried to get me last time and I was like, no, I'm too busy. (laughs) But then my publicist really likes you. So that's why I'm here. Um, she does. That's I, nice. I, I played. She likes you guys. I played the New Orleans card. Oh, oh, because you. My were... grandfather was born and raised in Carrollton. Yeah. Uh, and his, my great grandmother's family and my great grandfather's family, both sides are steeped in, down there. Have you spent a lot of time there? Sadly, no. Then how is that the New Orleans card? It's. I was. 
She didn't know any better. <laughs> Sorry, Tara. You tricked her. <laughs> I did. I absolutely she did. She thinks you guys are nice. Well, that's nice. We try. Mm. We try to be nice. Okay. It's nice to be nice. Wait, what was the question? Now I forgot the question. Oh, how does it feel to have the seventh book? I don't oh. know. It's like a... Um, it's uh, it's like, you know, the first book, you're like, everything's dreamy because mm-hmm. you don't know any better. And so any little thing you get is really exciting. And then by like the seventh book, you're like, you have a list in your head of all the things you need in order for it to succeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about publication. Here. I'm not talking about the writing process. I'm assuming that's what you're asking me about. Yeah. Well, just how it feels in uh, either way, actually. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's a big question. The thing that I, it's a really big question. So I would, I would say the thing that I've learned over the last my first book came out in 2006. So after the thir- last 13 years and seven books is that. The best part always is the writing. Mm-hmm. It's mm. the best and purest and greatest moment ever. And that when you publish, w- once you it leaves your hands, like everything changes. Like once it goes to my agent, once it goes to my editor, once it goes to the copy editor, all those kinds of things, like it's it starts to change a little bit. Like whatever your initial vision, and it gets better. So it's not really a complaint, but it's like it leaves you and it's that. So then what happens is um, it gets it gets packaged. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes like once it gets the cover, it becomes slightly different. And then, um, I mean, I'm, you probably know all this, but maybe it's helpful to hear. And then, and then you get the pre-pub reviews and you say, oh, this is the narrative. This is not going to be the narrative. Like the fact that you said you're the poet laureate of what were difficult families mm-hmm. is a narrative now about this book. And mm-hmm. so it impacts like the picking up of this book and the way people might, you know, for a second, just it's in their brain. Right. And then you get reviews and also people talk about you on the internet, mm-hmm. on Goodreads or Amazon, or they social they, they pick out a sentence and they post it on Instagram, mm-hmm. or they tweet it at you, or you do a, a reading, or you do... All those things alter your perspective mm-hmm. on the book. It becomes everybody else's book. Right. And then like a year later, when everything kind of quiets down... Um, or two months later, <laughs> or whatever the hell it's whatever the hell it's gonna be. For me, it always goes on longer because I get published in Europe. So there's the cycles of totally. you know, it's just when I think I'm done with it, then it's like then it's coming out in Germany or whatever, um, or Italy, and um, in Italy in particular because I go over there and do interviews and and festivals, and they ask me questions, and so I'm like, oh, that's what you think this book's about. Mm. Um, so, but you know, what's say a year later, like things have quieted down, and then you and then you ha- rebuild your relationship with the book, and it becomes something different hmm. again. But then it's just yours because you've heard everyone, and then you can sort of reject or take what you want. Um, so that's how. So that's really what it is. Like I've learned that like the best part always is the writing because that's mine. Hmm. And then, um, but there's great moments of joy that come in publishing, and um, if you know if people get something out of it, then that's really great that's what I want I, I create books that I think are sort of minimalist and flexible enough that people can insert themselves into it but it's also like why I don't it almost doesn't matter what I think mm. when I when huh. I do interviews I'm like I I mean I'll tell you what I want it to be but it doesn't matter because you're bringing your own reading of it your own history your own right politics your own emotions right and you're going to take out of it what you want to take out of it so uh, in a way, it's like it it makes you both egoless and full of ego at the same time. That's all I can say. <laughs> mm. Because you're full of ego when you're when you're writing it, and then you just know it's just going to get chewed up mm-hmm. once it goes out in the world. That was a long answer, but that was a you know that's the question, right? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a lot. So it is. 
also, I gotta say, I love how much joy you outwardly express about the writing process on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've done the Thousand Words of Summer. Oh, good. It's like, I, it, and you're one of those authors who's just constantly like, I was writing today. Let's all remember, writing is super fun. Yes, it is, because it makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Has, has being vocal about it on the internet changed the way that you interact with right like do you do you get more joy out of it is it a sort of a feedback loop right or is it like a writer's workshop uh ish feel or when i do that yeah when i do the thousand words or or it's oh. just, you're just a very online writer um i just decided it's like uh when i do when i um I think I've been told enough that it's helpful <laughs> that it feels like it's something I can do to be a, be a part of the writing community. Mm. And to it's not, I mean, I, I know what real acts of service are, so I don't want to say it's like an act of service, but um, it is like a, I'll do it. And I think it's good that I do it and that people get something out of it. And that's important. Um, yeah. And the thousand words of summer was really like a natural organic thing um, that, uh, I could, if I had tried to do it, it wouldn't have worked. Like if I had intended on creating mm-hmm. something, it wouldn't have worked. So it was just responding to people. I just think that the internet makes people feel really bad a lot of the time. And it used to be that it made you feel better mm. or that it was useful. Right. And so I'm old enough and have been doing this long enough that I remember those days. And I want to, at least for some, some of the time, be able to reclaim that and offer that up to people and then just like I, people really truly I mean I have people who've done a thousand words who've like you know finished their books and sold them mm, like I feel cool. like they're like my little like all these people are like I'm thanking you and the acknowledgements people I've never met before so that's just, awesome yeah it's really cool so I I am you know I'm really just a I'm very transparent about my process I feel like if people don't like it they don't have to follow me I've definitely I just I did another interview this morning where I kind of went off on it where I had like this last round of thousand words like people were like bitching about it and I was like you do not have to do this (laughs) you are not obligated to participate in this at all or they were like they were up you know there were they they didn't get the email that day and they Mm. were complaining to me and I was like this is literally you can just click on this link (laughs) you don't need to get it in your inbox to make you write or I or just don't do it so I right so like the la- the first time we did it, I think there was like 2,000 people signed up mm. and then there were 5,000 people signed up. And right. so once you get that many people, it just starts to get a little top heavy and then they're, and they're not everyone, are people just randomly signing up and are not really like necessarily, I don't want to say in it for the right reasons, but. Well, it's, um, and to explain a little bit that this is like your um, cheerleading, like summer email of like, write a thousand words today. Like you can do it. I'm doing it. Um, that, that you can sign up for. It is completely voluntary to sign up. Like <laughs> yes. no, yeah. no one made anybody sign up. If for you the are a writer letter. on the internet, you must sign up. Yeah. I'm literally, I'm like, I'm telling you, people were groaning about it. And I was like, I don't, it's cool, but don't <laughs> use my hashtag. Yeah. Get yeah. off my hashtag if you're going to complain about it. Like, it's not really like. But you can sort of see like what that, you know, that people have very complicated relationships with their writing and as they should, um, because it, it can be a really complicated thing. And But I am trying to show that it's actually quite simple in that it doesn't need to be most a lot of what I preach is that it doesn't need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like it just needs to get done that day. And then and that and that there's just sort of words to sort of pile up. And mm-hmm. then there's something good that comes out. Of, I mean, 
inevitably something good unless you're completely talentless and then I have no <laughs> I can't help you at all but even then I think something good comes out of it because you've written and you there's there's like a you know that your brain is doing something good and taking mm. care of you taking right. care of yourself like you get something out of like even if you're just journaling or whatever it is like today I had 10 minutes like in a hotel room before I had to do an interview and I was like looking around and I'm like oh that's 10 minutes for me Mm-hmm, and I just mm-hmm. journaled for 10 minutes and I like set an alarm or set a timer on my phone and I just wrote and I was like so I was in so much a better place yeah. at the end of it. So I can't really help people's pasts or, you know, their li- their lives. Now I can just offer an idea. Right. I think it's um, so useful and um important for people to hear that like you don't have to be precious about your writing process that you can just like put out 200 words on in your like in between times like straight into your notes like you don't have to you know be sitting down at a typewriter with the perfect like three drinks next to you and like like an (laughs) outline in front of your you know you can do it anywhere and like there's so much of modern life you can do it anywhere i had dinner with somebody last night who i think the last two times i've seen him when i've been in new york he's a lovely man I'm not criticizing him. But the last time I've seen him, he's told me about the same book idea, which he neither time has started writing yet. Uh-huh. And he was talking about, you know, he's got a kid, he's got a busy job, he's got a commute. And he was like, I just don't know how to, you know, I, how to find the time, whatever. And I said, how, I said, just write a half an hour a day. I was like, how long is your subway ride? He uh-huh. said, a ha- he said a half an hour. I said, great, do that both ways. Bring a notebook with you. You got an hour. Yeah. yeah. And that's really all you need to get something started. But you have to just feel, you have to want it. Yeah. You have to really, really want to, um, I always say there's like this intersection of like, uh, the fear and the hunger, right? So like mm-hmm. the fear is like, oh my God, I can't, I hope that I, my life does not remain this way. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm scared that this is going to be it. Mm. And then the hunger is like just a, just a raw ambition. And every time I sit down to start a new book even if I have a already have a book deal in place, I still write with that fear mm. because it could be it could get taken away from you. If you don't finish the book, it gets taken away from you. Right. And I'm like, I don't know what job I would have <laughs> at this point. I've been out of the game. Every once in a while, somebody I I must still have a resume or something up on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And so every once in a while, I'll have a recruiter contact me. I mean, it's been so long since I've been on LinkedIn that it was like a super old email address. I can't get the <laughs> password. I don't know how to delete the account. Uh-huh. I really honestly would like for it to go away. And I don't know how to make it go away. Um, so I, every once in a while, I get, um, I was I did copywriting for advertising. And, and my, my last job that I had was writing um, like for a pharmaceutical copy in like, a, oh, wow. in like Newark, mm. New Jersey, who's bad. And um no offense if you have to <laughs> write pharmaceutical copy, but, um, and that's what I get. And every once in a while somebody shows up and is like, we haven't talked to you for a while. What's going on? <laughs> and I, and it makes like, me write harder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing. I'm, I'm writing. writing. I've been Remember, writing all day. Yeah. They're like my, my ghosts, my little ghosts. To bring it back to the book, there is this, thing that that's going i mean everybody's dealing with their complex grief in different ways um some people are escaping and some people are experiencing it um and spending time either with their father or not like far away Mm. um but then like there's these also these moments of levity where other perspectives sort of seep in that aren't the family that are just a passerby 
And um, there are some of the moments of the book that made me laugh out loud. And um, they also seemed like, I don't know, they were just so energizing. And I'm just curious about the process of getting those in there. So they just all showed up when I was writing the first draft and they were commenting. So I, I think it was like, because the Tuckman family, there's Barbara's, Victor's wife, and then his daughter, Alex, and his daughter-in-law, Twyla, are, there's because there's like some darkness going on and some family secrets that are going on, um, I think that those were like opportunities for me to take a step back. I love mm. I love the long gaze. Mm-hmm. I have that done that use that like frequently in my books where I just love that like sort of and I love like a late in the game long gaze too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like, you know, a different a different perspective. But um, it was like New Orleans, like the, most of those characters are like our native New Orleanians mm-hmm. and they were they were commenting on that's their commentary on the people coming to their town and me me like listening to them and hearing them and and knowing what they you know and it is um humor is something that I use a lot I I'm always interested when people say oh but your work is really dark it's really depressing and I'm like we're hilarious (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny too it's but it is I also my work is like I know sometimes when I give readings like always there's people in the audience who are like i don't know if i should laugh or not like they like mm. their instinct is like i want to laugh because it's funny right mm-hmm. but they're reading it like their list but they're like literature serious or i don't really know and yeah. so i've had that my entire almost my entire life people never really know am i like kidding or not <laughs> and i just want to tell you that i'm kidding <laughs> and i'm trying to be funny but yeah those characters are um they're really they just showed up and they I, in the first draft, always just let whatever wants to happen. I mean, that's a problem, I think, with people with writing is that they will always want everything to be perfect in that first draft. And it's mm-hmm. like, actually, that's when it should be just wild and just let it go. And um, and so those guys showed up and I kept them. Mm. Something that I, I found wild about this book, and it makes me think of something we were talking about before we started recording, is is the passage of time. It felt, I can't think of, and this has been true of some of your other books too, but I can't think of another author who uses the fourth dimension like the other three dimensions you just move through it as though as though that's a thing that human beings can do what does that mean I just, the, the <laughs> like way, you, yeah like going a year back or you're like forward oh like, i see okay like, but the way that it happens it it's like it's not like and now we're gonna do a flashback it's just like walking across the street mm-hmm. yeah um i and we were talking about uh, like I was talking about Morgan Parker because Morgan Parker does sort of things that everything exists at the same time. And I, and I sort of buy it. I, all, all the, everything is like with my books, like all of these elements already exist in some other like ontological universe or whatever. And like, I see them and I'm like, where do I place them? So it doesn't, so it makes perfect sense to me that things can just show up and it's about creating suspense and structure and mm-hmm. um making a book better <laughs> like really like using it um my, my brother just finished the book and he said i don't usually like it when you leap forward in time but you you did a good job with it this time <laughs> <laughs> he liked it this time so That's such a brother comment. it is yeah. such a it was like slightly underminery but like um but positive in the end um it's just how i see things um definitely when i meet people i can't just meet them i have to think about them as like after i talk to them for a while i'll try to imagine what they were like when they were a kid mm. or, oh, what they, cool. or what they're gonna be like in 10 years or 20 years so sometimes it's like it's hard for me to like get to know people 
right away as like having like having like a normal relationship (laughs) (laughs) i haven't been that done that with you guys because i'm a little distracted but like i it definitely is like interesting to me to imagine like the past and the present when i when i talk to people huh um i don't know it's just the way my brain works and maybe it's always worked that way but then i like sort of didn't um accept it Mm. and then once i started writing and really leaning into my writing i mean i've always been a writer but like when i was like this is it i'm writing books and this is what i'm doing then then you just i just sort of gave over to it and Mm -hmm. like just let my brain do whatever it wants to do so it's like when i talk to people like i mean surely you guys are both writers so like when you talk to people sometimes you they say something you're like that'd be an amazing story idea and you write it down Uh Mm -hmm. like that's like all the time for me everything is always like <laughs> i'm always like be in the moment stop processing it in your weird way so mm. yeah so time is like it's all happening everything's like all at once all at once it's all, all the happening. time it, it really is like <laughs> yeah. it really does happen all at once if you just let it well i read uh, a poetry collection called absolute solitude by a, a, a woman whose name uh, Rojas is that the last name? L- Loinas. Loinas. Yeah. Dulce, Dulce Maria. Marie. Loinas. Yeah. Okay. L O Y N A Z. Man. Which Ooh. so who knows if yeah. we're saying that correctly? <laughs> Probably not. I um I'm so sorry because I've been running around the rain that I did not like properly remember her name. But that was a poetry collection that I read and loved. And there's a lot of talk about loneliness and solitude in the book, which is something I identify with as a writer and um, as a human being. And, um, and so I that sort of found its way that was like, that was an influence for the book. And I find in general, uh, reading poetry when I'm writing fiction is wonderful, because it Mm. just helps me to up the language. Like, I kind of don't really, I do read some fiction. um, But I would say reading poetry is, is just much much more helpful to me it's just when i'm doing a first draft i'm just i can read whatever but then when i'm on like that second or third i really want to like i really want to look at my sentences Mm -hmm. i really want to look at um how you know i read every sentence i'm sure you guys know but just to read everything out loud i do a draft. i do a draft that's just all out loud and if it it should sound good yeah Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I just remember that book cause there was just some really magical, it's very romantic and sad and sweet. Mm. I mean, I think it's interesting that there's, there is a lot of solitude in this book, even though these people are coming together, it's really about their own, everybody has their own arc of processing what's going on. They're all lonely. Yeah. Every single character is lonely in this book. Every mm. single character is alone. Um, but they, but some of them can reach out to other people and some of them cannot, mm. um, I think a lot of people are alone in this world. Yeah. And we all are getting more isolated because we're yeah. spending so much time on technology. I mean, I love it. Can, it both can connect you and isolate you. I'm saying really obvious things right now, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. So yeah. it's like we forget it or we don't think about it enough. And then we're there. We're, and then it's like six hours later and you're like, what did I just tweet for six hours or right. whatever? Right. Well, sometimes the obvious thing you have to hear again, because it's like you've, some, if something's big you can ignore it one you just accept it yeah, yeah. it's like well that's huge so that's yeah. always there yeah there's i'm thinking of of an inversion of that loneliness which is sarah broom's the yellow house which yes. is 
it, it's just like it's about a big family and how everybody is connected throughout mm-hmm. right so, um so this is the book that you brought that you had us read together um the yellow house by sarah broom like you were saying yeah would you tell us why you so you it? guys read it mm-hmm. specifically because i yeah said that, oh that's a nice story <laughs> <laughs> i like that story um it did you like it yeah yeah it's so good right yeah it's really really good um I read it. I'm I know Sarah, and our friendship has sort of grown over the last couple of years. Um, and uh, she had given me a copy of it, and I blurbed it. Um, and when when I was reading it, I was like, "Holy shit! This is like the most amazing book that needed. It was like a book that needed to exist that would not have existed if she hadn't written it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like." It just, it was, it's a, histo- it's like a piece of, hi- it's like a history book. It's like mm. a memoir yeah. and it's a history book. So it's about her family. She, she's one of 12 siblings and they, um, she grew up in New Orleans East, which is um, when people go to New Orleans, they just really think of like the French Quarter or maybe the Garden District. And there's like this whole part of town um, that's, that's kind of further out um, that has been largely abandoned yeah. um, by the city in a lot of ways right and it got hit really hard by katrina too um and uh and so it's a history of new orleans east like the first hundred pages of this book are really just like how new orleans east got developed and like a history of her family right it goes very far back in her lineage yeah and her yes and then um and then it sort of comes to present tense and you see or or like within the last 10 or 15 years and you see sarah you learn about sarah's life but it is about this house that her mother bought in new orleans east the yellow house and um watching it like her mother buy it with all this like hope and ambition for it and then watching it deteriorate over the years as like an as a, a real thing but also as a metaphor for new orleans east mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and uh it's just fascinating and she did such a good job and it's like she spent eight years writing it but really it's a book she obviously has been writing her entire life in her yeah. soul and it's just it's so heartbreaking and and um and powerful and important and um it hit like a storm, really, oh, yeah. where everyone was like, oh, here, oh, there, here's the book that we're going to like, seriously, like probably like teach in schools forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. that powerful and important. And it feels, it feels um, comprehensive in this way. Like she just really see, like goes deep into these things. And she even has a moment where um, she's talking to a bookstore owner and she asks, like, do you have any history of East New Orleans? And the guy's like, oh, that's too recent. Like there's no history of that yet, and she's like, "Well, that's that's wrong." <laughs> so she wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she really wrote it, and um, and obviously it's about. I mean, it's also like a very American book too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, with, with so many kids, I mean, there's so much experience to cover that she's she's going all through, um, and you just. I don't know. There's just so many characters. Um, you, this is a book that you really wish there was like a tree, like a, just remind you of like yeah. what the order, like I, I would have um, turned down if I didn't think the book, my book's so beautiful. I didn't want to turn down the pages of it, um, but I would have turned down when she goes over the lint, like who yeah. was born in ward, what order. Right. And I feel like I just, I haven't even said this. Like I discussed this whole book. It's, it's also like a, it's a history of New Orleans, but it's very specifically a history of black New Orleans mm-hmm. and, um, and how the, population there has been i mean it's six i think it's 60 percent black population there um and yet still so much of that population has been abandoned by the city yeah so it's very important 
book that I recommend to everyone. And it's just, I don't know, she just she nailed it. I could never, yeah. I, it's weird having a book set in New Orleans. And then Margaret Wilkerson Sexton has a, a novel that's coming out also set in New Orleans. It's more of a contemporary novel, although there's a historical speculative fiction component to it as well. Mm. Ooh, it's really good. Um, <laughs> the Revisioners, that book I also blurbed and she blurbed my book. Um, we've all like, it's such a small writing community and mm-hmm. it's such a small writing town, even though both Sarah, both Sarah and Margaret are not, they don't live there regularly, um, but they're both native New Orleanians, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a very specific thing. Um, for sure, people always identify themselves as that. Yeah. Like, I don't identify myself necessarily as a native Chicagoan at mm-hmm. this point. Right. Although right. I, I am for, I guess I am. I mean, I do I do say I'm from Chicago. People ask where I'm from. Even though I lived in New York for 18 years, I always say I'm from Chicago. Right. Like, that's right. important right, right, to right. me. That. I, I loved in this in um Broom's book the um the when she's living in like the more like what you think of New Orleans like the French Quarter of New Orleans where she's like a, a, an Airbnb host as well like I I was I was so uh loving like this I don't know it placed it in because it feels so historical but then it's there's this moment of just like no it's right now like this all she's living this life and it's not like the past it's 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 as much it's present you know it's present tense this this history it's Um, all happening at the same it's all happening i had a like i really as i was reading the katrina sections Mm. i i was like holy shit that happened when i was in high school yeah that was like not that wow And yet it feels like it happened so long ago. And then reading the book, I was like, oh, shit, this happened yesterday. Yeah, especially in New Orleans. It feels like they're 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 still feeling it. I mean, like one of the things that the book goes into is this the road, how like they were supposed to get paid out for their house and the, and and the city was supposed to help them in a lot of ways. And she like goes over how they didn't. Mm. And it's just like it's a heartbreaking. It's so much of this book is heartbreaking. It's really there's a I did turn one page down because there's a moment. It was it was the first moment that I f- I feel like I felt her like the first hundred or so pages really are historical and she's like this is my family and then These she are- shows up yeah mm-hmm. yeah but there's um she's a skinny burnt looking man named Diggs lives in grandmother's spare room with the twin beds grandmother calls him her friend instead of boyfriend which is what he is whenever he sees me uh, he rolls through a painted white drawer and gives me quarters what happened to Diggs I don't know. <laughs> He disappeared from the house either by dying or walking out the door. The same thing, he was gone. That moment, I was like, holy shit. That's a whole, that's a whole world in a paragraph. She does it. In a way that I just, whoa. Over and over. Yeah. Yeah. There's whole, there's whole sections of this book where I was like, well, that's, you could pull that out and that would be, that's a, that's in a whole book. Mm. There's like volumes in this. Yeah. I appreciated the fact that she, that she said, I don't know. Because it like this idea that this book can and should and will be taught mm-hmm. and it will be a part of a historical canon as well as a literary one. But that idea of, of being honest and being like, don't know what, what happened with that story. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's the story. part of the story. Yeah. Oh, it just really like it felt. I mean, I don't know. New Orleans is such a, a spooky town. It's like. Anne Rice and ghosts and above ground graveyard like mm. the idea that death is so close to the surface and always has been it's such a tragic place there that yeah. town. I'm so I'm so deeply attracted to it mm. uh, 
not for the tragedy, but for, I guess there's something dramatic about it that I'm attracted to, but there's so many, there's so much like, it's just such a haunted, it really truly is such a haunted place. And I am very interested in haunted places. Not interested in haunted houses, but I am interested in <laughs> and ne- necessarily sometimes, but right. more it's like, like I don't go on ghost tours and things like that. <laughs> Could you imagine that that's what I moved down there to do? Just constantly going ghost <laughs> she tours. She left New York and then she just is, and now or like I'm actually like one of the people running the tours. <laughs> yeah. or, or you're you're an actor in it to walk by Guys, one of the that's windows. my new job. When <laughs> oh this, man. When this career is over. There it is. We figured it out. You don't need to go on LinkedIn again. No, uh-huh. never again. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to give tours. Um, not to, I mean, that is a job. And, it is um, a job. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm interested in that stuff, though. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really complicated, wonderful, tragic place. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. I, I'm loving reading. I loved reading these books very close together and getting so, like all of the, the like a couple flavors of New Orleans literature, like what's coming out. Um, it's just been a really it's been a really good year for for the books. I mean, the last couple of years, I think a lot of people. But it, again, it's like we'll have like two or three poetry collections and like four books that are published you know by a, a big house or mm-hmm. like a prominent small smaller press mm-hmm. and we'll be like new orleans <laughs> like whereas like here it's like that was today right yeah that's yeah oh. <laughs> people yeah. Set, tend to set things in new york yeah somehow. do we want to um talk about other things we recommend the other books i guess i did recommend margaret's book. you did oh you guys I'm, have to read. i'm stoked about that but it's that sounds so good really cool. she her last book she was her debut and she got long listed for the national book award and uh, that book was also like kind of about the hist- like set generational like a family generational story in new Orleans. she and i in a weird way are like kind of writing on the same we're both writing like dysfunctional family narratives mm-hmm. but in just i mean i really sh- like she's written two books and I'm like, she's just going to, she's just blowing me out of the water. Like she's <laughs> so the freaking future. She's right. really, really talented. Um, and that book was, um, the new one is the revisioners. The revisioners. So, yeah. It's just very good. Anyway. Cool. Uh, do you want to recommend something, Drew? Um, I do. I've been waiting for the right episode to recommend this book and it's, Kristen Arnett's Mostly Dead Things. Mm-hmm. My, my darling Kristen. Another like weird family novel. God, I love that Did book. Did you have her here? Mm-mm. Oh, you should get her. She's um, fun. I can imagine. She'll drink 18 of these. <laughs> <laughs> that book is just... I. It was one of those things where I pre-ordered it knowing next to nothing about it. I saw the cover yes. and I heard like the one sentence blurb about it. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll buy this book about a dead taxidermist and his weird family great mm-hmm. in that, florida sure that cover was very good it's a good cover that cover worked real hard and i just i mean it's it's so weird and like bordering on uncomfortable at times the the specificity around organs and the process of taxidermy mm. um but man i just it's like a, it, i love a good family novel mm. and 
we haven't had a we haven't had a family novel on the show in a while, and so Are I've been waiting. Yeah. And then I was like, ah, this is this is my time. Are you guys writing family novels? Am I allowed to ask that question? I'm. I have a family novel in my head. I'm not. But I. <laughs> Who among us does not have a family novel in their head? That is yeah. true. That is true. Yeah. Someday. Mm. I mean, because I like I've got a big weird family. Yeah. I want to think of another thing to recommend because I kind of yeah. bumbled that Margaret thing. Does it, it can be anything, right? Mm-hmm. Anything at all. Do you guys want to talk about Succession? Can we just <gasps> talk about Succession? No, because it's so obvious because everyone I know watches Succession. So it's not really like doing anything new. What else did I, I Hodgman, you already did Hodgman's book. I mean, I really have been recommending Hodgman's book to people and I've been recommending Sarah Broom's book to people. I would like to recommend the soundtrack to Frozen, which I heard today (laughs) from my three-year-old godchild in its entirety. And she wore an Elsa dress Mm. that had a trail that was blue and sparkling, but she was feeling very shy around me. So she did it with her back turned. (laughs) (laughs) So you're recommending this particular experience or just the Frozen soundtrack? I'm I'm recommending this child. (laughs) Can I recommend this child? Hell yeah. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. That's my my recommendation. I like it. Nice. Christopher? Uh, I'm going to recommend a YouTube channel. (laughs) This is a, this is, it's not a television, it's a, they're called the Skatoon Network. Uh Uh-oh. And they, um, they cover uh, all sorts of things and make them ska. And I grew up, when I was growing up, um, I finally stopped listening to my mom's musicals and my dad's jazz by getting into ska. And uh, ska wow. was like my gateway drug <laughs> into like punk and a bunch oh, of yeah. other music. Yeah. Um, but ska still holds a beautiful place in my heart. And ska to network, they, um, they have an incredible cover of Billie Eilish's Bad Guy. That might be where you want to start. They turn it into... Um, like a screamo anthem at the end, it which was, is kind of great. It would be a place I would start if I'd ever listened to Billie Eilish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, exactly. but I am maybe generationally, I am very far removed. I've tried to listen to Billie Eilish and I, I don't get it. Mm. She frightens me in a way that like, I think uh, I'm sort of generally frightened by like 16, 17 year olds right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, maybe this is your way to listen to Billie Eilish if you're like, I don't know about regular, but I'll listen to a ska Ska version. Ska cover. Uh, I tried because I have a 15-year-old niece and I was like, I gotta listen. I gotta be up, I gotta like be able to talk to her about something. Yeah, and it didn't, it didn't thrill you. I don't, I I don't know. know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Scott 2 Network, uh, they also cover um, Blink-182 songs and uh, all of, all all these things that you're just like, wow, this is better ska. Um, so yeah, check out Scottoon Network. It's one of my absolute favorite things right now. Nice. Uh, uh, also, absolute favorite things right now. All this could be yours. Yes. Oh, guys. It's yes. just out. And the Yellow House, two great New Orleans books. Read them together. Yeah, they work well together. Yeah, oh, and ma- and but also I'm gonna put in the pitch for Margaret's. You could read Margaret's oh, book uh-huh. too because it comes out in a couple of weeks. Also. Oh, great! So you yeah. can have three different, dramatically different New Orleans stories, but they all kind of. Have some through. They just share some things. I think it's interesting. Yeah, cool. Um, we also, um, as we're as we're wrapping up here, I do want to recommend recommend. It's not a recommendation. It's an invitation. Oh, because we new. we are having um, our fifth birthday party. Um, on uh, you guys are turning five. Fi- yeah, five years of doing so many damn books. Um, we are going to be um, celebrating on November thirteenth at King Tai 
um, in Brooklyn. And yeah, all of you who listen to the show are invited. We're going to have probably books to give away and we're going to have special cocktails at the bar that we've made on the show. You can drink the drinks that I've made for other people. <laughs> seven o'clock. Yeah, November seven o'clock. 13th. And please come. And if you don't, you can also always leave us an iTunes review. We really appreciate those or support us on Patreon, patreon.com, patreon.com slash smdb. Thank you so much for coming on the show, yeah, Jamie. We you. really appreciate awesome. you coming on. Oh, it was really fun. And uh, everyone go by. All this could be yours. Oh,